0: I want to know everything there is to know about you. I am going to introduce
1: you.
0: You must have spotted her by now. She's always there. Don't I deserve love? Somebody has to like me best. Welcome to the Don't Know Her podcast. I'm Michael.
1: And I am Scott.
0: And we are today without a guest. Which just means it's the two of us, which is, is very lovely just to have oh, you to thank myself.
1: you. That's the first time you've ever said that.
0: <laughs> well, I would only say it when uh, it's being recorded. Um, and who do we have with us? Who do we have? Not with us. Who, do we, who are we going to be talking about today, Scott?
1: We are talking about the mesmerising Diane Lane.
0: Yeah, she is truly mesmerising. I'm so delighted we have got to talk about... Diane, um, she has always been someone that, like, from when I was getting interested in film properly, say in the late nineties, early nineties, someone I knew was around. Like, say from films like *The Perfect Storm*, and from her Oscar-nominated role in *Unfaithful*, which I did watch as an Oscar completist when I was way too young to understand marriage and the meaning of, of an affair of that sort of nature um, but to be honest I'm not sure I understand more now as we'll get into um, and yeah and then that was really solidified with some of her later choices like she's someone I've totally fallen in love with and would cite Under the Tuscan Sun as one of my go-to films. Um, to cheer me up and make me feel happy about the world and opportunities mm-hmm. um, the reason I like the film she's in um, is often because of her presence like she really elevates whatever work she seems to choose she has this like movie star quality like there is something about Diane Lane which is like she's this should be a big movie star but she doesn't have the movies sure (laughs) like where are they and which is why she's perfect for this podcast because she's had plenty of opportunities to be in leading roles and um even good juicy supporting parts but for whatever reason she never hit the heights of her contemporaries um Mm. yet that's 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 still loads of time no of course and what about you, Scott? Like, when would you have first known who Diane Lane
1: was? Uh, well, interestingly, I think this seems to be a recurring theme of me now. Like, you know her and I didn't know, but I did know her. But I think this time it was more about how she's kind of woven into the fabric of film and my knowledge of it and cinema in general and watching award shows and, you know, awards clips and film trailers and just all of these things without perhaps having seen much of her films necessarily when I was kind of growing up and starting to watch films um it would have been in things like jumper which probably came out uh when I was 15 16 or so when I first saw her on screen but it is with all of the things I've seen since which have delighted me more there's a film called Indian Summer which is a nostalgic favorite of mine which unfortunately I didn't rewatch for this, or maybe fortunately, because maybe it's a pile of shit, I don't know. But at the time, I remember being so charmed by it. Um, And her in it in particular, there's just something about her presence which just feels very, I don't know, comforting in film. Like, this sort of reliable Mm -hmm. armchair that makes her sound terrible. She's not an armchair, but that type of vibe of film. Like, if she's there, you feel kind of comfortable, you're in for a good time, at the very least, you have her to watch. So... A great shout, and I was only too glad to talk about her.
0: Yeah, she, it's funny. In an interview she did, I think about two years ago, she was talking about how herself and John Cusack refer to themselves as coffee table actors, like the type oh, of actors. That you're like, yes, they're there, they're you know part of the furniture. Um, they... You know what you're kind of getting with them, and you know that they're part of the system, and they're part of other films you've liked, and it's just comforting, as you say, to see them. And um, so you're on the same mm.
1: lane as Diane. That's lane. Her, yes, I called her an armchair. She called herself a coffee table. It's all the same. I called you a tool. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so. Yeah, and it's funny like what do you why do you think Diane hasn't maybe hit the heights of some of her contemporaries?
1: Oh, a good question. I don't know because to me she's such a striking beauty. So she has a film star face. She feels so ripe to have been doing much more and much bigger roles than she was. And there was these moments where it seems like she was going to like Unfaithful, which we will talk about. Um, where surely, surely she's gonna be the the person who's in everything, I don't know, and i i I think it's kind of a frustrating one for me to try and work out because she just feels primed. Do you have a better answer because i don't I don't know in this case
0: I feel like and i this has come up with people we've talked about before there's just something about her which maybe didn't fit the mold of like an eighties and nineties. Expectation of female characters, perhaps, mm-hmm. because she was so on the nose of looking like a, a beautiful woman. Sure. But in they would, you know, instead we want kind of kooky or um, like. Interestingly, she she turned down a role in Jerry Maguire. And I was like, wow, she was going to play the Rennie's Outgrip. Was Because she? what else? No, she was going to play Tom Cruise's fiancé. So basically kind oh. of just a tokenistic kind yeah. of beautiful woman who is a snob, essentially. And I thought, like, that's so revealing of Hollywood at that time, but also mm. someone that looks as amazing as Diane Lane... Like, what, what parts would she be given? Yeah. And it also seems like, she, you know, she's very comfortable with the sorts of her choices and everything, which is brilliant. But, like, for instance, she was um, at one point in line to play the Vivian part in Pretty Woman. Um, but when she was in talks to do that, it was a much more darker film I think she said it was going to be called 3000 rather than Pretty Woman because that was how much it was worth to have her for the weekend and at the end of the film instead of this like Cinderella story or fairy tale story she was going to be tossed out of the um limousine by the Richard Gere character because she was what her expectations were not shared by anyone else so she was um a uh, victim of say the Hollywood dream, so you know, and if that's the sort of roles you were interested in at that time, as a woman wanting to do leading parts or meaty parts in Hollywood, where are they? Yeah. So I, th- I think it was is just bad timing because I can imagine God, imagine studios would be scrambling to create parts for her back in the thirties and forties. and yeah. um, she and she's so good, like she's such a good actor, and we'll get into that because. The other part of, I think, why she's not maybe so successful is for whatever reason, she just seems to have bad luck in the films and the filmmakers she worked with. So like working with Francis Ford Coppola with so many films, but they're never, they're not the Godfather. (laughs) They're not um, Apocalypse Now. They are the Cotton Club. Um, which isn't even, like, it wasn't a passion project of his, or The Outsiders, which, again, was something that was brought to him and he wasn't, it wasn't like The Godfather for him. Or Jack, which... um, (laughs) I think that is of the same calibre as The Godfather. (laughs) Yeah, but that is true. Apologies. Um, But you know what I mean? Like, and even Under the Tuscan Sun or something, you're like, that could have been very different. I mean, I'm I'm not, I wouldn't change it for a thing. No, no, no. But all these films just tend not to, like, latch on to the zeitgeist of what's actually happening in the world. And she just seems to have bad luck in terms of the films that she's the lead in, not really hitting an audience at the time.
1: Yeah. I think that's fair. Exactly. I think I think it, during a pivotal moment in her career, um, when she made films like The Cotton Club, the reception to those films then tarnished her her career for quite a few years where she didn't work at all for a handful of years. And then after that, it was the smaller parts. So actually, I didn't know about the Jerry Maguire thing, but that makes complete sense that they would be asking her to do a part like that. Jerry Maguire, I think is 96, 97. Mm-hmm. That falls within, I think, that that time bracket where she was doing far smaller roles and picking up far less. Um, so I think what it was is at that pivotal moment, the 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 kind of the boring side of of criticism and, and and films making money bankability they they assumed that she wasn't a bankable star where I think that's unfair and has turned around since but at which point maybe she was in a different point in her career and therefore got overlooked very frustratingly
0: yeah it is it is mad and yet I think a lot of people. Will know who Diane Lane is in the way that's for perfect sure. for this podcast, in that like they know her face because she's been in the Superman films, or they know her from an Oscar nomination. Even if they haven't seen Unfaithful, or maybe they remember when they were younger from being yeah alongside Tom Cruise and all those guys, and um, whatever films or Richard Gere. There's she just hits a quite a different sweet spots for lots of people. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm thrilled, I'm, and I have loved watching these films, oh, even good. the the highs, the lows, <laughs> and the silliness. I've loved oh, exploring her filmography me or watching it.
1: It's been a delight. Well, shall I give us a little rundown into the career thus far? Please do. Um, we've already touched on a few bits, but let's just dive in again and have um, a little summary here. So... Diane was born on the 22nd of January 1965 in New York City. Her mother, Colleen, was a nightclub singer and perhaps also interestingly a playboy centrefold, which I hope was fun times for her. I hope that was all for good reason and uh, and a good move in her career. Um, She was Miss October 1957. Um, Her father, who was called Burton, had a variety of jobs and, and was... I guess you would call a very encouraging or perhaps pushy parent. Um, He did a lot of jobs, uh, taxi driver being one. He was a teacher of humanities, but maybe most importantly for her career, he was a drama coach in Manhattan. And I think that kind of led her to driving, sorry, led him to driving her towards a career um, in acting. Um, The relationship with her parents seems to be quite complex when you sort of read into it. Um, especially as she got a bit older. So they separated when she was very, very young. She initially lived with her mum in Mexico before moving back to be with her father when she was six years old. Uh, When she was then a teenager, I think around the age of 15, she declared independence from her father and moved to Los Angeles with the film actor Christopher Atkins, um, which is a move that she then subsequently has put down to be giving too much independence when she was young part of maybe being an actress and working on films from a very very young age just gave her the sense of independence and and felt like she could off to LA i go and and later perhaps regretted doing that um kind of going back to the beginnings of her acting she started when she was six she attended la mama experimental theater club in new york uh, where she starred in a production of medea um, Moving forward, then a bit, when she was 12, she starred in a production of The Cherry Orchard alongside Miss Meryl Streep, no less. Wow, wow, wow. Um, when she was 13, she actually then turned down a Broadway role in Runaways, which she did do off Broadway to make her film debut opposite Laurence Olivier in A Little Romance, which was released in 1979. Uh, Olivia then went on to sing her praises, labelling her as the new Grace Kelly. Although a lot of other film work quickly followed, her most noteworthy breakout work do on screen then came with her teaming with the director, Francis Ford Coppola, as we've mentioned, whose back-to-back adaptations of Essie Hinton novels The Exouders and Rumblefish both came along in 1983. These films were linked to the rising of the Hollywood Brat Pack where the careers of many Hollywood stars went stratospheric from there. Basically, you've got Tom Cruise, Matt Damon, Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, a lot of people who were in these films around this time referred to as the Brat Pack. Andy Warhol then went on to dub her as the undisputed female lead of Hollywood's new Rat Pack. Um, Following on from this, uh, she then worked on is The Cotton Club which we then mentioned uh, and Walter Hill's Streets of Fire which was a and noir rock musical and like I said these were considered to be critical and commercial failures and this is where we see her career slowing down a bit and it was for three years that she starred in no other films and then from there not until 1989's TV series The Lonesome Dove um, which saw her garner an Emmy Award did she kind of re-find that success and re-establish herself on the on the screen. And then following on from there, she had a more consistent run of film work in the likes of Richard Attenborough's Chaplin, going back to Francis Ford Coppola for Jack that we've mentioned, Judge Dredd, and she starred in A Walk on the Moon, which uh, brought her an Indie Spirit nomination for Lead Actress. And with that, a lot of praise from critics and co-stars alike. From here, she hopped into big hitters such as The Perfect Storm and the film, which scored her only Oscar nomination so far, Adrian Lyne's Unfaithful, re her with Richard Gere again, who she was with in The Cotton Club. Then 2003 brings the earth-shattering Under the Tuscan Sun, taking her on a life-changing gay tour of the Italian countryside, and a golden nomination to boot. What more could you ask for? From here, we see more and more from Miss Lane, such as Fierce People*, Must Love Dogs, Land, Knights and Rodanth, where she worked with Gear Again, Secretariat, and then, like we said, she plays Superman's mom in Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Justice League, including the Zack Snyder cut. Um, She voiced Riley's mom in Inside Out, uh, also then starring in Tully, and very recently Let Him Go. Uh, But I guess being so busy on film has meant a little less work on TV than maybe some other performers we talk about, but still some worth mentioning for sure. So beyond Lonesome Dove, we have the TV movie Cinema Verity, which brought there another Emmy nomination, House of Cards, and quite recently again, Why the Last Man. Her theatre work has more recently seen her return to the stages of Broadway in The Mystery of Love and Sex and the 2016 production of The Cherry Orchard. So a bit of a full circle moment in terms of coming back around to that. But that's just a little dive into the career of Diane Lane. She has done so much. Oh yeah, so busy. I mean, that's a lot compared to some
0: people we normally talk about. Yeah, and it's like, it did, as we were deciding, you know, what films we'd focus on, it did break my little, uh, broke my heart a little bit that there's films within that that are niche, let's say, or, or not very successful, and I don't think many people have seen, but I've seen and mean something to me. Mm. So, like, I come from a family where horse racing has been a, a big, a big thing, and so the Secretariat, which is all about horse racing, is something I go to. It's a very Disneyfied version of a real um, life story, and she's 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 great in it. But I think the films that we are going to talk about. Are very reflective of the type of performer she is, and kind of her career, I guess, thus far. Um. So I guess maybe do you want to start where it, kind of stop started at the near at the early of her career, like she was riding high, working with Olivier, and then going to work with Coppola on the third film they're making together, in a quite significant role, mm. the Cotton Club, and quite a. Like I still think it's talked about quite often, the Cotton Club as this sort of, I don't know, like not mysterious, but it's just like this film that could have been great or something. You know, like oh, sure. before we even get into the story of the actual film, the making of it is fascinating. Wild, so, yeah. So Robert Evans, who is this very entrepreneurial and exciting producer, he, like he's made, he's behind the Godfather and um, he came to Coppola with the cotton club, like this is gonna be so exciting, this is gonna be great. Coppola didn't really want to do it for various reasons. Long story short, he ends up directing it, adapting it, um, and Evans has taken off the film. The film that Coppola wants to make wasn't what was released. It's a bit of a, you can tell. I feel like it's one of those films where you watch the version which was released back originally, you're like, okay, this does make sense that there were these disagreements, creative different disagreements about this film because it does feel lopsided yeah. sometimes when you're watching it. Um, I did not rewatch uh, or rewatch. I didn't watch the Francis Ford Coppola's um, director's cut of the film. I did read about it, and it seems like he fleshed out a bit more, but it's still not um, hitting the heights of, let's say, the Godfather, Godfather Part Two. But it is a interesting film which has been on my list to watch for a long time for all those reasons. And watching it for Diane Lane is an interesting exercise. You can see why people watching it at that time would think, maybe this woman isn't going to have a great career. Like Maybe she isn't as great as we've been thinking. And it's not her fault. Um, the film has... It, like herself and Richard Gere just feel oddly cast in this film both of them yeah um, and it follows essentially their stories it, 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 in the released version is there are kind of it's about these two people being involved in these gangsters and how they're going to survive well, essentially how are they going to fall in love and um, be together and survive this thing
1: you take that thing with you
0: wherever you go? Sure, exactly Dutchman right. likes the sound of my horn. <laughs> no, <I don't.
1: laughs> His Master's voice.
0: Look who's talking. Yeah, well, I'm getting my own nightclub out of it, honey. I just find it really... dull. I find that part of the movie dull. It's a bit like Bugsy Malone watching them. They're so young. Yeah, yeah. Her in particular, it's it feels really strange. Like, it's very much Jodie Foster in Bugsy Malone yeah. um, sort of vibes. Of, like forcing her to be sexy and she's so naturally sexy and it just feels weird it just yeah. and like gear has this mustache sort of thing it's just such a shame um and the film it feels like it knows it that their their storyline is the weakest so yeah it's a shame <laughs> the shame that it's the version of the cotton club um that we got um but I don't know who would have been better. Like or I can't imagine who'd be better, but I can't imagine someone making it fascinating compared to the other subplot that's happening. Basically, these jazz performers who wow. are not able to live... They're not being treated equally, and it's, they're getting e- increasingly frustrated about this, you know, white mafia boss trying to dictate their lives.
1: Yeah. It's... Yeah, this was my first uh, foray into the Cordon Club as well. The The film is, is an interesting watch, and I would recommend it because it does feel like a product of its production and its very muddy and messy production. You can feel it being handed around. But I think that makes it more interesting than it could have been potentially, but it... It's very strange. Um, Diane does feel, yeah, she just shouldn't be there. It feels uncomfortable, like, like drunk or high sometimes, but I think that's just her not finding the groove because it's just not for her to find.
0: I need to get something to eat. What did I say, the wrong thing?
1: Don't you feel nothing for Mr. Flynn?
0: Mr. Flynn was a bootlegger. That's how they live. Maybe one day you'll wise up, sap.
1: It makes me a bit more uncomfortable thinking about if there was anything else going on or if she was just so aware of the mess that the film was in. In gear Two, like you said, I think both of them feel wildly miscast. It's strange. They're giving really strange performances for two very talented actors Um, because maybe most significantly from watching her other films and other films we'll talk about is that... She brings so much life to films, and this performance is very lifeless. Um, but it is all interesting. There's so much going on. Like the, Musically, it, it is interesting, and I was wondering, because it's an early 80s film, if it was then like a product of things that had come before it, and inspired by things that had come before it, and this frantic editing, cabaret-type, you know, fossey things where you have that kind of wildness to the music, the frenzy, which we would then see many years later with, say, Baz Luhrmann stuff or or kind of more kind of Fosse-type productions and things like that. Like, what do you, do you think this informed anything or was informed by anything or do you yeah. think it is its own thing in a box?
0: No, I think that's what Coppola was interested in, was the jazz music and those stories. Um, I feel like, and I could be totally wrong, that he has said All That Jazz, which is a Bob Fosse film, mm-hmm really inspired um, him making this which does make sense and I should say Gregory Hines who is one of the jazz musicians is so good in it like I think that's what makes it even more kind of frustrating be like why are we hanging out with like the bland white kind of cis boring sort of characters like they're like Diane Lane wants a nightclub so she's sleeping with the Mafia boss and uh, or Mafia boss and Richard Gere he just is kind of lured into it um, a little bit because of Diane um, too but that's so boring so yeah I uh, the style of it is fascinating and that's why in the extended cut and you can see clips of this is more of the musical sequences okay and it's wonderful like that that it could so there is a world where that is a is a great film and they're kind of the subplot Um but to watch it and think about Francis Ford Coppola and to think about his work and where this will be, it will. Like, history will see him as one of the great American filmmakers. But I don't think that anyone will be listing The Cotton
1: Club. No, I don't think so. So I never watched The Outsiders. Can you understand? her in that film and and a draw that she would then work with him again and again and again including the cotton club
0: well to be honest i can see a direct line to the cotton club so the outsiders as you said is the um brad pack and she plays a woman who a young woman they're all in high school and she gets caught up in this gang these two gangs and she's essentially a pawn between them my name's Cherry, but my friends call me Cherry because of my hair.
1: Yeah, I know. We go to the same school. You're a cheerleader.
0: Yeah, you don't look
1: old. You should be going high school. What's a nice boy like you doing hanging around with that trash?
0: She has her own um, interests. She has her. She stands up for herself in, in to Matt Dillon. She's a force to be reckoned with, and that sort of energy would have worked perfectly for her part in the cotton club. So I can see where her casting would have made sense. But it is it's just a useful thing. Like she's she's way too young. Um I don't know why every time I saw her I just did think of Bugsy Malone and that yeah, was kind of makes sense. the vibe. And her saying I want a nightclub I was like what would you even do with it? Like I don't believe you'd be able to like look after yourself in any real way as even like how are you gonna keep a nightclub going? Yeah. So it was a shame. So I do. It does make sense um, that she wouldn't have. Uh, if this is a big budget, celebrated filmmaker bringing this film to audiences, and it didn't do well, and she's kind of front and center at it. She. I might be wrong on this, but she specifically was singled out at the, um, uh, the Razzies, wasn't mm-hmm. she? So, which to be isn't fair. Like there's a lot. There's a, you know Richard Gere really should be. Into that sure. part, too, but she's an easy, well, she's a woman, she's easy to target in this film, um, as opposed to Richie Gear, who also was having quite a great time of films, at the, um, mm-hmm. and Francis Ford Coppola. Nobody wants to, to kind of tumble him down, I guess. So, yeah, it was, um. So, it is a shame.
1: It is a shame that's
0: kind of marked her filmography for such a long time. Yeah,
1: I think it is. I think that Razzie nomination probably did a lot towards it too. That's where they can fuck off with those awards. That's poisonous because it probably was a huge part to play into that. People thinking, oh, she just got that Razzie nomination. I don't think so. So, a shame. But for those who are completists and just interested in musical cinema music on screen jazz on screen there is a lot of interesting stuff there it's just as michael said it's focusing on the wrong people um it should have been an african american story and they completely fucking missed the mark on that one
0: yeah gregory hines a should have been nominated for his performance in this version for best supporting actor and b we should have just had a movie where he was the lead mm-hmm. And he's terrific in this. Um, So, yeah, that's really, that was my main takeaway of The Cotton Club. Um, And it's interesting, like, when you look at her filmography, obviously there's loads of films which I think have personal connections for different reasons. But when you read about, like, the upward trajectory, which happened in the, like, with Unfaithful and all that is the film A Walk on the Moon, which people were citing, and I had never seen it before, and I don't... I've never heard of it before Mm -hmm. we came to, you know, focus on what we're going to talk about, and that felt like such an important film to reflect on. And, like, what... I don't even. I'm going to let you start because I I talk too much. As everyone listens to this, <laughs> you, but also no. I I am a little not speechless. I just don't know even where to begin with this. Like I I was expecting something totally different.
1: Okay, um, so a walk on the moon sees Diane Lane as a housewife in the seventies. Um, it takes us to around about the time when the Woodstock Festival was happening, and more specifically in line with the title, The Moon Landing is coming up. Where we're all looking forward to to folk going to space and that being a thing. And we have Diane Lane um, as a mother and housewife, her husband played by Lev Schreiber. He is a TV repairman. So, as everyone is very excited about the moon landings, more and more people need their TVs to be fixed so they can watch it. So, he's away from home a lot. And what happens is she finds herself um, in the company of a blouse salesman. I must say, really (laughs) horrible blouses. (laughs) Um, I think those blouses.
0: um, Well, (laughs) I think it's more the women's react, the character's reaction within the film makes me think
1: like. Well, I must have bad taste because all these people are flocking. I <laughs> love the blouses. But most importantly, the blouse salesman is a very um, sexy Viggo Mortensen. Always, they always lovely Viggo Mortensen. Um, and with this encounter comes um, the other sort of encounters as they embark on an affair as her husband is off mending televisions in the city.
0: And I got I I got the perfect blouse for you.
1: No, this. no, I'm not here to buy a blouse. No, no, no. Check this out.
0: Friend of mine makes them up in Kingston. Some a new line I'm carrying. Yeah, it's
1: it's a tie dye. It's not bad.
0: No one will buy these.
1: They will if they see you in one, want to try it? Eat some I liked it, I liked it. I think Diane Lane is is really terrific in it. And I think this po- film is really important in the the kind of rekindling of her career because people start paying attention again. Um, she plays this part exceptionally well and I think it would then go on to encourage castings a little bit further down the line, Unfaithful mainly, and things after that too. Um but it is sexy. It's all of these things. I think the setting is good. I think the Woodstock thing is, is cool. We see that factor in towards the end a lot in terms of the music choices in the film and stuff like that. Um, but it is sort of a fairly run-of-the-mill film of that type uh romantic melodrama um, of sorts set, set kind of in that you know 70s time. But, but I enjoyed watching it, especially um, for her, I would say. But what, what about you? What What did you make of it from what you can recall?
0: <laughs> I thought it was going to be a heavy drama. I also thought it was going to be about an astronaut. Um, so it wasn't any of those things, um, which is fine. Um, but for a film in, from 1999, I th- and we should say this film was a commercial hit in America as well, um, but she, it, it just struck me as a very gentle sort of... It's a sort of film that now would wind up on Netflix streaming direct, like on demand. It would never go to cinemas, I don't think. and um, Not unless you had really famous people in it. Um, and that's not a bad thing. I just think it was a pretty average film that has a nice heart. She has some lovely moments.
1: It wasn't you, Marty. It was me. There were things I wanted to
0: do with my life. I I don't even remember what some of them were. Somewhere along the line, I disappeared. She has this real knack of being able to make it seem like she has taken your thoughts and pushed them yeah, out. And I'm not a wife nor a mother. But somehow you're like, yeah, your frustrations with life and everything are exactly like, this is what I want to hear. Yeah. It's cathartic. Um, so yeah, and I'm always happy to remind you that Viggo Mortensen was a beautiful man. Oh, like, wow. I, yeah. um, I, well, he's, he's not my favourite, uh, really, in general. Um, but <laughs> I, he's very handsome in this film. Yeah. Um, I'd let him drive, <laughs> drive me around in his blouse truck. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it, it was good. I'm really glad we've seen it. And it makes sense. I mean, there's a real direct link to Unfaithful here about an affair and her being a woman that has everything that you would possibly want in your life. And then having a sexy man enter and things um, kind of unravelling where you, you're sensing a self-discovery in a way. It would make sense that Adrian would see this film, A Walk on the Moon, and then be like, yeah, she'd be perfect for Unfaithful. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm anytime. Diane is the lead, happy to to see it. Um, but I won't be re-watching this. I found it all a bit dull towards the end of like, will she stay with the husband? Will she go with the blasman? <laughs> and all this sort of thing. I was like, I'll just let her have her own. Let her go to Tuscany. It's kind of all. (laughs) Let her go on the gay tour of Tuscany. That's all (laughs) really she needs in her life. So, well, let's go into then Unfaithful, as we're talking about Diane Lane having...
1: Yeah, no, I think
0: so. ...very sorted and very sexy affairs. Yeah,
1: we'll move from a 1999 Indie Spirit nomination to a 2002... Oscar. Which is
0: amazing. So that would have been the second Oscars that I was really into. Clearly it's not a film for like a 12, 13 year old to watch. And I had seen clips because they were, you know, she'd be doing interviews and they'd always be showing this specific clip of her on the train, kind of thinking of um, the sort of dirty things she'd get up (laughs) to. The dirty woman. In fact, there there was a special in Ireland about how dirty... Unfaithful was
1: <laughs> no, there wasn't. No, there wasn't.
0: But I, I love that you thought that was believable. And um, no, well, not as I know. I don't know. I probably was brought up somewhere. Um, and I'm sure they review it on the national thing. So I'm, I'm not sure they'd approve of that. <laughs> so um yeah. So I and I saw it when I was really young. I'm so glad to rewatch it because a, I had this opinion of it that it was this sort of more art house than Fatal Attraction sort of thing around.
1: Unfaithful. That's what I thought in advance of watching it. Yeah,
0: and I also did not appreciate it the way that I would now, being God, good, a good lot older, let's say, but nowhere near the age of the characters in the film. Actually, I I don't know what age my Olivia Martinez is. No, Um, I think you're older than them all, Richard Gere. Yeah, well, so like Richard Gere and Diane Lane are married, happily married. They have the most annoying child you'll ever meet. Um, someone's knock him in the middle. He's such an irritating guy. Um, sorry, it's not. I don't Lovely, usually I feel sure. bad about a child like being talked about that way, but this child deserves it. He's literally like, "Mom, there's a, there, you know, the pot is over boiling," and I was like, "Turn it off yourself. Like, you stop sitting there and being a fucking whinger. Um, so, apologies if you're listening, and please continue to listen. I still don't know his name. No. Anyway, they're happily married with this annoying kid, and then she goes into the city when very blizzard blistery
1: day. D, the most day I've ever yeah, seen on screen. It makes the Wizard
0: of Oz look like a gentle, like, um, breeze.
1: Oh, God, Tesco bags flapping about everywhere. I, when they open
0: the door, and you're like, and Richard Gere's like, should he be going to school to the child? She's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like... Honestly, that wind would. The, the school bus would be rolled over. Anyway, somehow they, he the boy gets to school, Rich Gear goes to work, and Diane Lane goes into the city.
1: <gasps> Shocking. I'm mad of her. In and that she wind.
0: meets Kylie Minogue's boyfriend at the time, <laughs> Olivia Martinez, who is French, there's no doubt about it, because he, he's, he, like, he couldn't be any more French if he tried. And he's carrying books, and she's carrying party things for her child. And the wind. <laughs> brings them together, literally And she cuts her knee in quite a like Severe way oh, yeah. And she loses her party stuff I don't, does he lose his books? Anyway, whatever She comes up It's very, um Sensual I'm Constance And I'm late I have to go Before you go, take your book No? Oh,
1: no I I couldn't I don't Sure you can souvenir
0: and then yeah. gradually they start an affair and it continues from that point there is there is it gets more complicated than maybe it sounds like but also it's 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 much i i wish the whole film was less sincere and a bit more silly because yeah. the film seems to believe that like the blizzard <laughs> and the frenchness and like her kind of like shock at being like suddenly seen in the sexual way by the sexual man just is all a bit too sincere and they perform it, uh, Olivia Martinez and Diane Lane very well, but there's just something about it with, it's just overloading or overwhelming with the music and everything. Um, it's kind of like the sort of thing of like sex that isn't like when you're told, like say porn, that's really like, we've got this music, we've got this lighting, we've got all this. It's like, but it's not, to me, anyway, personally, is not as sexy as just like just have sex, like yeah. just just have two characters that connect. Um, and yeah. Like the bit where they're reading Braille together, and he's like has her his hand holding over it, and it's you're just like, what well, just fuck? Like it takes too long for them to. Fu- Did you know? What? I don't understand. Like in a Michael's movie, you're for the foreplay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess I don't like. but like fu- <laughs> uh, well, sorry, I'm not saying that. on... am How embarrassing to have revealed my true nature on a podcast. Um, Regardless of my personal preference, I don't like foreplay in film in general, in a metaphorical sense and in a very practical sense. Like, they're going to have sex, let them have sex, and
1: grand. Um, Yeah, it was, um, I was certainly expecting something more interesting for one, but something much sexier for two. The only thing that... Do you like foreplay? it's all i like um the the only thing that did live up to the expectations was diane yes and and she'd won the new york film critics circle she'd been nominated for a plethora of other critics awards and other film body awards Uh, had the oscar nomination of course and i'm sure at the time maybe even isolated from the film this was a really exciting performance i think as a kind of also comeback performance still even though we'd seen it happen a few years before i think this was the moment it was undeniable like yes in an adrian line film again like oh great we're like we're back in the the height of 80s kind of erotic cinema but the film is weak richard Gere is also I, I find him very strange in this film too. I don't really get what he's, how he's pitching his performance. I think it's appropriate, but I'm just not used to seeing him doing that. And he feels so pathetic. But I won't reveal too much more because it kind of gets into to where the, the story heads. It is an Adrian line, so it's no surprise to say it is a thriller uh, above just being a, um, a film about uh, an affair. But yeah, I. <laughs> but would you say it's as thrilling? Like Fatal
0: Attraction is Adrian's like I guess most famous film, and that is no that, that understands the the you know the, what it's aiming to do. Like it's a campy yes. thriller movie, which also has quite a interesting social commentary in it too. Unfaithfuls kind of loses; it doesn't have. It's not as sexy, it's not as campy, mm-hmm. it's not as thrilling, no. and it doesn't have social comment like if there's so there is a moment which I actually really enjoy and think Diane is incredible in it, so she's gone off with Olivia martinez or sorry, she's bumped into two friends from her suburban life, and they go for a coffee because the ladies have been shopping or something. And she calls Olivier, Olivier, I was going to call him, Oliver. Is it Oliver Olivier? I might now try making up names. Anyway, I don't know who the guy is anymore. He's driven me mad with his sexual <laughs> energy. Um, but Olivier, I'm going to keep calling him, Martinez, He, she calls him... On, it, or on whatever the phone in the coffee shop is And it's like I'm sorry I can't come over for sex So because of this But I'll hopefully come later And all this sort of thing um, <clears throat> And um, that was Diane Lane That was actual footage from the film And anyway she go, she He of course what do you do when your fuck buddy, buddy is, is not coming over You go to the bathroom of the coffee shop And you like have sex there And he's there like having his coffee While she's come back and she's like Glowing um, yeah. I mean, she's having the time of her oh, life having sex, with this man. And then the two women are like, have you seen this man? He's hot. What I would really give. And then it turns. Having an affair is nothing like taking a pottery class. Could be. No, it would start out like that. And then um, something would happen. Someone uh, finds out or someone falls in love and it ends disastrously. They
1: always end disastrously. No. When?
0: It's a long time ago. And it's the one
1: thing in my life I would undo if I could.
0: And Diane's face the whole time is just so intriguing to watch mm-hmm. and she had a few moments of like this in the film, but yeah. in this in particular you go from this like euphoric energy of like God yeah, I can get away with all of this and I can live literally two lives in one go. And then she realises, no, no, it has to end. Um, I will say without spoiling, like the, the, I guess the reason this time watching it was like, oh, this film is missing something is because it takes the narrative away from Diane Lane. It like kind of moves into Richard Gere's character being more active. And Diane's character is not in it as much for like 20 minutes of the film. And I feel like that is a real shame um, because she, what she's bringing is really missed And maybe that's why it's not thrilling Maybe whatever you're saying about Richard Gere Because it's funny you're saying pathetic I just think he's really bland I just found him really bland and like, It always shocked me that he was not Oscar nominated for Chicago And I think there's a bias of men in, in a like, female led movie In a musical yeah. But I also think maybe people were watching Unfaithful And I think it was, and honestly, would if I had five people, and I was, I can't even remember who was nominated, but I certainly that would kind of put me off voting for Richard Gere in Chicago. It's like, oh, well, maybe that was just luck or something. I don't, do you know? Mm -hmm. Because I think that part in Unfaithful, it like that is a very clear job you're asked to do, and for whatever reason, he seems very, I don't know, like not ill-equipped, but just ill-fitting and I hate yeah. because now I'm sh- shitting on Richard Gere for two films in a row Ugh. I love Richard Gere I love watching him This American Gigolo, Chicago there's loads of films I like him in um, just in, in these two films I just think he was not well cast Yeah. Um, but yeah overall I like it and I think it's a fun film perhaps if you're into erotic thrillers that are not so erotic or not so thrilling
1: Well, sure. I think that sums up perfectly. <laughs> now we have
0: to talk about the film where I did like fall in love with her, and also fell in love with. I I just don't I can't I I cannot explain really how much I love under the Tuscan sun. Mm-hmm. Under the Tuscan Give sun, a go, please yes please. <laughs> under the Tuscan sun, I have seen countless times. It's just so incredible, like. So the story of Under the Tuscan Sun is this woman, she is, uh, oh my god, what is she? Is she a writer? Does it even matter? What our occupation is she's a critic. Is? She's a critic. That's it. Because it starts off and this man approaches her and is like, "You gave me a bad review." He's basically toxic masculinity, like, put into a character straight there, being awful to her, and because he she gave him a bad review, he tells her that her husband's having an affair. Cut to her being told she has to pay him alimony. She has to like sell the house to him. All these things, and she's trying to like figure how she's going to um, <laughs> how she's going to survive. So thankfully, Diane has uh, is friends with Sandra O oh and Kate Walsh, who are a couple who are expecting a child. So no longer can go on their day <laughs> tour of Tuscany. So they give it to Diane who strangely and this is the most unbelievable thing in, in a film where there's a few unbelievable things she says no <laughs> anyway she turns around crazy
1: away, crazy bitch <laughs> crazy
0: bitch anyway cut to her being in Tuscany having the time of her life and I swear those those men who I'm assuming are gay having the time of their life oh filming with Diane Lane yes. in Tuscany oh. that's all I want and she has a great old time with them she writes postcards for some of them that are struggling to come up with something so that's a nonsense storyline I love it she comes up with the most like like wishy-washy thing to send and the gay you can
1: smell the blues
0: <laughs> I eat a hot grape from the market and the violet sweetness breaks open in my mouth it even smells purple I wish I could stay here longer but the bell of the Campanile reminds me of time ding ding dong and the gay guy is not having it. He's like, well, fuck you. <laughs> but she's having a great old time. And then the bus stops because there's sheep on the road or goats or something. And she sees his house under the Tuscan sun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd love if she said that in the film. Um, no, but uh, she goes in. She sees that it's for sale. <sighs> they're like, no, we can't sell it to you because we don't. we need a sign. But thankfully a bird shits on her and she buys the house. She's, she's like, she's literally like doing kind of an old fashioned, kind of screwball comedy sort of thing. Like her performance here and like the way she's like handing over the money It's like. Please tell Contessa that. This is what I got for my house recently in dollars. Uh, I've to weekends, Minus the work on the place. Um, hammers, buckets men, chocolate, and a rental car to drive off a cliff when this all turns out to have been a terrible mistake. That's what I can be. It's just such a, like, glorious thing to watch her perform in this sort of way. Then she's in this house that's falling apart. She meets people that are doing up the house. She meets the locals. She meets Lindsay Duncan, (laughs) who is... In love with Italy as much as Diane is, and dresses like she's in um, a Fellini movie. She's in the fountain. She's eating ice cream. She's like going around with these big hats, oh, yeah. she, like she just has the time of her life. She has a, like kind of a flirtation with the guy who's selling the house to her, but he's married, and this isn't unfaithful. So they're very um, pleasant. Sandra O comes, like the, the like these group of like Polish builders improve the house for her. It is a beautiful home. She's just having like the best time. And there's something irresistible. Like I openly joke that I can't wait to be in my late 40s, divorced, and then escape to (laughs) Tuscany.
1: It's a perfect plan. It's just hearing you run through that again made me so excited. I want to watch it like right now. This is, and not just because we're two gay men who like this actress very much, this is, like, honestly, honestly such an unsung gem. I yeah. don't understand why. I mean, I was familiar with the title. I've seen the poster. I'd kind of walked past it far too many times in HMV when I was a kid. Why weren't people shouting about this film? It's like, it is a literal bliss. And I can't think of other films like it specifically off the top of my head where you have this kind of character who's there to sort of... Um, enrich the lives of others whilst her life itself is enriched by those. Maybe like a Chocolat type. Yeah, thing. yeah, that's yeah, that's the only film that,
0: I, and I love chocolate oh, too yeah. for very
1: similar reasons. For very similar reasons. This is a much better film. This is genuinely a really good film. I mean, I'm also a chocolate fan, but but this is a really, really, really strong film. Um, it is a film where you think it's going to be about her going to Italy and rediscovering men and then finding a relationship again in that video it is, that is a very, very small part of it. This film is interested in family, specifically in the kind of context of this film, chosen family, which I think is yeah. a really, really beautiful thing, but I've not seen often in films, certainly not of this nature, um, truly authentically interested in friendship. And in that way, it makes it a very subversive romantic film, because I still think it is a romantic film, but it is about finding yourself. Yeah, but this is this is the authentic version of that. Stuff like Eat, Pray, Love, where we all still talk about that because, I mean, it was a huge deal and the book was a massive success. This is the far, 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 far superior version of that film. Diane is delightful in it. She is exactly the right person for this film she's gorgeous you want to watch every second of her you're delighted by just having her there basking in the tuscan sun she plays sadness very well yeah. it's incredibly lived in it's never too present it's just part of who she is and part of what she's choosing to deal with in this life which she is now blissfully for us found herself in the relationships are amazing. The chemistry between everyone is really terrific. Her and Sandra O, oh especially. Mm. It's wonderful. It's just... It is exactly what I want from a comfort film. Mm. But not just for comfort. I think this is a near perfect film. Um,
0: and the reason like, I go back to it... Um, is, and I was so excited when we did Decided to Die and then because I knew I would just get to rewatch it again and share it with yourself um, is it is inspirational in a way like oh, yeah. because of what you're saying like the found family thing is very important I mean as queer people I feel like that is specifically important and like historically important and she's coming to the realisation she's not alone and it's so lovely to watch and then she's also looking out at others and sometimes in a very which easily could have been like oh these italians behaving in a crazy way which sometimes it is but in a gentleish way there's this man who is always putting flowers at um an, an image of um the virgin mary and he's there every morning and she's like oh will he look look at me and it's just like this really like humble or something like something like small desire to be present in life and be acknowledged in life, and that kind of is basically the whole movie summed up in one moment. Yeah. The way she talks about that, I could go on and on and on about under the Tuscan sun. Like I will no doubt rewatch it before the end of this year.
1: Oh yeah, now I want to too. I think it's like few others we've talked about in the in this podcast, and there's lots of films we've uh, loved and I've loved that we've spoken about, but the kind of immediate. Uh, desire to be back in it is so present with this. It's It's just so nice and the writings so beautiful. Oh God, I really love it. Oh, and there's that moment with Sandra O oh where she's having a bit of a tricky moment and she feels like she's impacted on um, Diane Lane rekindling her love life and she says, "Where were you going when I arrived? Nowhere we're important. What's he like? He's a creepy Italian. Let's see him. I will. I want to spend time with my creepy American friend. Ugh. I refuse to screw up your love life. Don't be ridiculous, Patty. You are my love life. And it's like, oh God. It's so nice. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. um
0: And. <laughs> Instead of just going on about Under the Tuscan Sun... Oh,
1: boo, let's do it.
0: There is another film, which I, I put up there in terms of... This, a film that is widely underappreciated. Um, it's much more recent from 2020, am I right? 2020, no, sorry, 2020. 2020 yeah. um, Let Him Go, which is this Western-style film with Diane Lane, Kevin Costner, and Leslie Manville. And Diane Lane and Kevin Costner are a couple... Who live? Oh God, I don't know where in America, but very remote, sort of just like not a desert, but dirt everywhere and dry dirt. Do you know? Like the, you know, you get the vibe, yeah, yeah. uh, *Parrot the Dog style. Um, and they have a son who's married, and they and a grandson. Their son dies. This is the opening of the film, and the daughter-in-law remarries and she marry remarries somebody who is part of I Gets a mafia type style family um, led by a matriarch Leslie Manville <laughs> who we have actually talked about um, and they take the grandson and they take the daughter-in-law back to their home, to this mafia family home and they weren't warned and Diane Lane Decides, like, no, we need to get this. This is not right. And he's not good for our grandson. And he's not good for Lorna, which is the name of the uh, daughter-in-law. And it's a really, like, so in so many ways, like, an old-fashioned Western. um, But it's also about grief. And it's about... It's a character study. And very much focused on Diane Lane. Like, she is the lead. And Kevin Costner... Um, apparently, um, when they do interviews, he was like, no, it's your name first, then mine, because you're the lead of this story. Um, I mean, Kevin Costner is someone that can do no wrong in my eyes. He's wonderful. Um, but yeah, he, he was very much, this is your film. I want to be part of it because I want you in this part. It is so good. Like, I would put that, it was one of the first films I saw when things were opening up for a brief time at some point between lockdowns. And I only went to see it because of the combination of those three actors: Diane Lane, Kim Costner and Leslie Manville. And I was blown away. Um, I just thought the film was really touching. I found it really tense. I found it really thrilling. I found it really exciting. I found it very old-fashioned. I also found it very modern. I just mm-hmm. I was like, this is a perfect film. Like this is a perfect film, entertaining and also thought-provoking, um, because it does ask a lot of questions of like. Well, you know, who, who is responsible for the child? Like, yeah. you know, that daughter-in-law very much should get remarried if she wants to. But then what happens if she's struggling in this new marriage? And it is also fascinating, of course, I would say this, that it's women. Like, women are leading this story. So you have Leslie Manville kind of versus Diane Lane. Yeah. Well, we'd certainly hoped to meet Donnie's family someday.
1: Oh, had you? Well, I'm glad to learn that. Yeah, I thought we should meet to Have ourselves a chat. Yeah, I'm equally delighted to have watched this film. I think it is really terrific, like you say, how it kind of harkens back to, yeah, not just a Western, but yeah, those Westerns that we might have seen stars like Bette Davis or Joan Crawford or people like that in in this sort of Hollywood heydays. Um Diane Lane is the key here and she's wonderful. And we have these moments where she's kind of playing the character. She She's driven by love and driven by family loyalty. And even though you can feel her vulnerability, and that's always very present. It's not like she's kind of icy or steely. She just knows how to kind of act when it is for her family And that energy is incredible and something that I maybe hadn't seen so much from her before and made me really excited thinking about stuff I'd like to see her do. Um, She completely owns this. And like you say, Leslie Manville's a delight in this film. The pair of them against each other is wonderful. The campiness of Leslie's performance versus the kind of stoicness of Diane's is really great to see. There's some scenes which we won't spoil which are are a joy to watch because they're, they're very, very exciting. But it it is Diane's film. She just owns it and you feel so, again, comforted by her at the reins. Um,
0: she, yeah, she lives and breathes this character and it is incredible to watch. And to watch, and as the film escalates and Leslie Manfield's performance escalates a little bit, she remains like true to what she is. Um, like her journey and this is interesting for i guess a protagonist she doesn't change i feel like that's why it feels like a western specifically is like she is a hero on a journey has a specific task in mind um and it's about whether or not she fulfills it she doesn't i mean she does learn and she does sacrifice and she does all these other things during it but it's not it's not like unfaithful or under the tuscan sun she is she is the same person throughout and yeah, her banter with Liz Manville, like when they meet at a dinner table, oh my lord. And then that escalates in quite violent ways.
1: He hit the boy. I saw you across the street from the grocery. Is that what all this fuss is about? Grandma, are you gonna tell me you didn't paddle your own, huh? Not ever. He hit Lorna too. You hit your wife? I saw him. How'd he do it? With his hand. <laughs> Alberta Einstein. Yeah, I know, with his hand. I'm asking how. Like. Hmm? Was it like that?
0: But it's never gratuitous. It just feels like, yeah, okay. This is a great story, well told. And I really hope it's the sort of film that people discover on tv on demand and um, because it was a hit like for like relative to what could be a hit yeah um during between lockdowns but yeah i would have and we talked about this last week with nicole bahari easily would have nominated her for best actress i would put her over like i put her like Frances mcdormand in terms of best performance maybe not nominated but Frances mcdormand nicole bahari diane lane they're the ones that like stand out to me in terms of like the group of, of women. um, And I would have been delighted if Diane cool. Lane won for that performance. um, Or, well, not yeah. But she's just so good. And the film itself really just holds up so well. Because, um, yeah, I saw it in the cinema and then I watched it again. It was available on demand. And then, yeah, I watched it again for this, even though I was thinking, oh, I know it so well. Yeah, I just love it. Um, so I would recommend say like Under the Tuscan Sun if you want something kind of light and escapist and let him go if you wanted something a bit more I don't know I don't even know how you would describe that but more gritty I guess or more like (sighs) a tougher watch I guess but they're both so good I mean yeah don't compare them put them put them both in a a double bill of Diane Lane you
1: will not ever forget her after that I agree I agree good suggestion
0: well, luckily for you, you can decide a prize, which could be to force everybody in the entire universe to watch a double bill of Diane, or you might have something maybe a bit more uh, exciting and a bit less oppressive.
1: I'm, I mean, perhaps it's a little oppressive, but I don't think so, given uh, the quality there. Uh, I would, however, like um, the villa from Under the Tuscan Sun and to, and to have that life.
0: That's a lovely one. Well, if you lose, I want to go on a gay tour of Tuscany.
1: <laughs> but I, but I want them too. So there's no bad thing. Maybe I want to lose too. Well, maybe we can
0: both. We're both winners. Okay, great. But this quiz, I'm bringing back one of my favourite things, which I believe you introduced, which is a musical round. Mm. And when I say musical, I don't mean actual musicals. I mean music from certain types of films. And as we want to continue to celebrate under the Tuscan sun until. We can no longer speak. <laughs> this, these are this is music from films where women go on a journey okay. to discover themselves. Great, great, <laughs> love it. <laughs> so I can't, I won't re- reveal any more about them unless you need c- clues. Okay, but here is the first one.
1: I, I can't actually place what film it might be used in, but because of the Italian side, I'm going to assume it pre Love.
0: No, but. Um... You we were very close. Got t- oh, I've got it. I've actually got it now.
1: I've got, it's, it's literally just come to me. This is what um, Nicholas Cage and Cher see at the opera in Moonstruck. No! No, because they're going on a it's, about a... it's about a woman going on a journey. <laughs> okay, so she has been on a journey, but Cher goes on
0: such a journey <laughs> She does go on Sorry, I wasn't specific. A physical journey. Physical just to leave journey. her house.
1: Shit. Okay, leaving her house. Women going on journeys.
0: And it's not... They're not seeing an opera... I thought this was obvious, but mainly because I, when I hear this song, I think of this film because it's the opening title, and it starts off. Do you want me to give you the line, the first line Go of through. the film? It starts off like, "We were promised a view, that is not good enough."
1: Okay, so this is a room with a view. Yes. Gosh, I, yeah, no, it makes complete sense now. Um, Maybe I was thinking of the wrong kind of journey, but there we go. The, the Italian connection should have been I'm enough. sorry, the wrong
0: kind of journey. You see um, Horny Church, Horny Church, Horny Church. Oh my Lord. Wow. I've been watching too many Adrian Lynn movies. And um, Horny Church, that is a journey.
1: Mm. It, get... is, it is a journey and what a delightful film. So I'm always glad to have that brought up. Okay, so one point to you. It's time for
0: another. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I feel like you'll get this. You'll get it. Oh, God. So I can tell by your face that's something maybe you perhaps
1: don't know no I mean I can I recognise this is um, an older film this sounds very classic Hollywood in terms of the sweep of the score Mm -hmm. Um, let's see if we can get there a woman going on a journey this feels like Gone with the Wind something it feels it feels Mm -hmm. like that in terms of the music but uh, Is uh, it a Betty Davis film? It is a Betty uh, Davis. Ah, it's now Voyager. Yes! yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What a film! Annoyingly, that is uh, Betty Davis was what came to my head as soon as the music played. I should have just kept on that.
0: I am obsessed with that film. Um, she's so good.
1: I just love it. So yes, I'm so. Anytime,
0: basically, this round is just about me talking about films that I want to talk about.
1: Good. Well, I'm glad I caught there, so I'll, I'll take it. Now, Voyager is a, is a terrific film, and Betty Davis's is a magnificent
0: Yes, and I really want her cape thing, like the embroidery <laughs> thing. I think about that often. Like, in terms of costume design, I'm like, that cape is everything. That's what it's at. Hmm. Okay, next song. Well, I took a stroll on the old. So no hints, but did you know that Irish film tune? Yes, American?
1: I I well, do know that. The, the, the best Irish film I've certainly ever seen um, is the classic uh, P.S. I Love You.
0: Yes, and where else would you... I didn't say they had to be exotic places or exciting.
1: Oh, Ireland fits the bill. I'm sure to many it is very exotic and exciting. Anyway, a film. It's a, it definitely is a film. <laughs> it's a film? <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, here's another
0: <laughs> film. <laughs> so a slightly different sort of atmosphere there. But any guesses?
1: Um, Spanish. Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got there.
0: You've got all your answers. So, yeah, you get your house in Tuscany, and I've decided I get my gay tour, so we're all happy. Yay! And speaking of being happy, I'm actually really intrigued to hear what you are bringing to the table for Diane and her future.
1: Um, a large glass of
0: wine? She does drink a lot in films. She drinks a like, lot anyway. We've been drinking this time, and I felt like I had to have wine because... Just it was appropriate for Diane? It felt just right.
1: Quite right. It's what she'd want. We're going to be sipping it in our villa. But anyway, what I'm bringing um, in terms of...
0: You're bringing it, nothing.
1: <laughs> I'm bringing nothing. Let's start with Remake. So I'm really intrigued by the Pretty Woman thing. And I would have liked to have seen that version. I've heard before about being it being a darker initial script. I didn't know it was Diane Lane who was attached. Interesting with the Richard Gere pairing. Um, oh,
0: I don't know. I, to be honest, I don't know facts about this, whether she was the only one attached. Okay. If he was attached. <laughs> Interesting.
1: Oh, well, then that's a very, that makes it even more mysterious. Um, so, I, so I say give her a Julia Roberts role. Oh. Uh, but I I would be hard-pressed to find a Julia Roberts role that I would want Diane Lane to Take from Julia because she's always so good without it being a weaker film so I am just going to suggest an alternative version perhaps so I'm thinking My Best Friend's Wedding however it's going to be now it's not going to be Young Diane it's going to be an older um, couple of friends attending um, the wedding and she's playing this but it could be even darker than, I mean, My Best Friend's Wedding is very, um, it's not fluffy and lovely. I think it has a streak to it. I love that film. But it could be have a darker edge. She could be more manipulative, even than Julia Roberts, already quite manipulative character in that film. But I just see her again because of the face. Diane Lane has a movie star face still now. The the beauty is very, very present and and I think that's what you want in this role in My Best Friend's Wedding. I think Julia Roberts turn in that film is for me perhaps the greatest movie star turn of all time yeah. in terms of her at that moment in time, her beauty her um, acting chops, everything together, the humour is is perfect movie stardom. So I say let's have Diane Lane now Let's recast the whole thing. But but I just think there's something wonderful there. Who could play... The the husband could... I mean, heck, it could still be Dermot. I actually quite like Dermot Mulroney a lot and I'd be interested yeah. to, to see him oh. in it now. Um, I still
0: have Rupert Everett. have all the same yeah, people. Maybe. And yeah, maybe. I exactly. guess the woman has to be younger, which is a... Sh- no, fuck no, no. it. If Cameron Diaz fine. wants to be We back, literally we'll just do replace
1: that. it. Cameron Diaz comes back. I think that's great.
0: And Julia Roberts can play like the mother of Cameron Diaz or something. Yeah, joking. <laughs> <No, that's laughs> yeah. but no,
1: I love them. She'd have a cameo, and it would be fun because I'm not slighting her. Uh, I just uh, would think it'd be really fun to see, it. and she would be, Diane would be sexy and interesting mysterious. Yeah. and mysterious. And I think that film could have a really good energy. It could still be funny, it could still be campy and fun, but with older people, I would love it.
0: I love it. Uh, do you know the other film that like, just jumped to me was Duplicity? I think she'd be really good at oh, that okay. with Clive Owen, which is this sort of like thriller, mystery sort of uh, film, sexy. But I again, I wouldn't take much away from from Julia Roberts. My remake is a bit more on the nose, correct? Um, but it's a movie I'm a little like I love, I love this movie. Maybe for similar qualities it has to something like Under the Tuscan Sun, but a film by David Lean called Summertime, which stars Catherine Hepburn as a single teacher. This is like much later, well, much later in her career, but she's probably in her fifties or maybe even late forties. But at the time, considered an old woman, um. She goes to Venice on a holiday, and f- she finds love for the first time and a connection, and it's really beautifully observed and told. And Cate was Oscar nominated for this performance. It's really great, and David Lean like such a great filmmaker too, like making this film. And I was like, yes, well, this could be a part. That Diane easily could do, like as we talk talked about Under Tuscan Sun, also another movie we haven't talked about which I love, Paris Can Wait where she plays a very similar sort of a person who has left America, left all of her a lot of her inhibitions behind to discover herself through a connection with somebody from um, France um, as she travels to Paris um, but um, Summertime she'd be perfect and I was thinking who would I mean the equivalent to David Lean, um, I don't think is appropriate or exciting anymore. But I was thinking like, who could bring out like a naturalistic sort of character-driven film, which also would be like go into festivals and get the attention like she deserves, and a film like that would deserve now. I was thinking of Richard Linklater, um, who would be more most famous against Boyhood, and before Sunrise, Sunset, um, and Midnight. And these films, which is like a real gentle observation of people and their relationships and their connections and expectations and loves and desires and all these wonderful things, which he captures so beautifully. And Diane, as we've mentioned before, does that very well. Um, If not, one of probably my favorite uh, performers that can do all of those things in a Hollywood way, but also I imagine with someone like Richard in a very, I guess, I can't think of another word but Art House sort of way yeah. so yeah love it she'll win her Oscar it'll be wonderful
1: perfect well what more could we ask for
0: and what sequel did you go for
1: sequel so I'm going for um Horrible Blouses A Walk on the Moon 2 Jeez. um just kidding Oh, I mean surely our answer is the same here right let him go oh no yeah, Under I the witness. Tuscan
0: Sun well Summertime is kind of a sequel to Under the Tuscan Sun a little bit
1: okay fair enough um under the Tuscan Sun. I don't really need to say any more than that. Under the Tuscan Sun.
0: Well I think Let Him Go. I won't say how that film ends, but I would love to follow her character just more like being in this very isolated area. We would never we never get stories like that. I just would love to hear more about her and yeah. her life. Um so I recommend people watch it and then come back at me uh, or come back to me and we can just chat about all the amazing things that character could get up to. Yeah. And then, in terms of connecting to someone, she has stated that she really admires and wants to work with Mike Lee. Oh, wow. Which is such a fascinating choice. Because yeah. it kind of feels like the flip side of everything that she has done in her career. She's never worked with someone who is so, like, kind of improv, theatre-driven, which you've already brought up, but, like, her start of her career in theatre was improv. But it just feels very, I don't know, very different to what you imagine. So I'd love him to do that, and I'd love it to be about somebody who is part of, like, elite Hollywood. I know Michael would never do this, but I'd love a film where she's kind of almost like, um, I feel like Sondheim and those sorts of Stephen Sondheim, the, like, follies and these, like, women who have been a trophy wife or whatever, coming back and being... Like reflecting on their life and discovering no i want more a bit like say blue jasmine so Kate blanchett and woody allen um, explored and an amazing performance an amazing opportunity to watch her and um, but to see a mike Lee version of that with diane lane i'd love so yeah i'm going to make it very simple a new version of a streetcar named desire <laughs> by mike lee with diane lane in the blanche sort of part
1: that is stunning that is absolutely amazing um yeah I, uh, why not? Come on, Mike. That would be a fascinating move. Um, I'm going to go for Paul Thomas Anderson because I don't think I've said him before. And I kind of mean Paul Thomas Anderson in his um filmmaking more on the lines of Phantom Thread or There Will Be Blood. So that kind of period work without the zaniness which we get in some of his other things. And I'm thinking as like a mob mother, I thought of like, say, Jackie Weaver in Animal Kingdom, but less um, arch, less um, frantic, just something which is there. Everyone respects and fears this woman in equal measure. Um, Maybe this was the Leslie Manville connection, actually thinking about it now of her in Mm. Phantom Thread and then thinking of Let Him Go and kind of going from there. But even in that part, something like that would be fascinating to see Diane Lane do. But Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, would be a really good fit, especially when he's working on that side of his dramatic um, work. But yeah, as he feared and revered woman at the top of a sort of criminal family, I can just see it. I can see presence. I can see everyone playing off that energy very effectively and her just holding it. And holding everyone in the palm of her hand uh, so that's my pitch
0: yeah she'd perfectly fit his kind of intensity and being able able to like modulate between kind of everything being at like a, a zero or five and yes. then escalating very quickly yes. like I would never recast Julianne Moore in Magnolia but I would absolutely love to see Diane Lane in that part like I think she would nail that pharmacy sequence like she just has oh, the ability yeah. to wrap things up in such a believable way.
1: Yeah, that's a good suggestion.
0: So, yeah. Oh, well, hopefully Mike Lee and Paul Thomas Anderson um, will listen to this. I know, I know from correspondence that they're big fans. So I feel like they're just a few steps away from casting Diane
1: in their next film. They should be. They absolutely <laughs> should be. Come on, boys. Come on, boys. Do you believe in love? Cause I got something to say about it.
0: And Diane is here, <laughs> ready to work. Um, yeah, but you know, as she has said openly, she has loved her career. She like, there's been ups and downs and whatever, but she is delighted with how it's panned out. And yeah. so am I. God, if there were, if every actor can get a, you know, there's at least three films that I absolutely love of hers, and there's still so much more like we didn't get to talk about here and so much more I would love to watch mm. so she's, a, she's great um, yeah so I'm certainly glad thank you Scott as always for um, spending time with me watching the films <sighs> and getting to know a little bit more about Diane
1: and it's been a pleasure um, with Diane especially you, it was nice but <laughs> Diane, very good
0: And where can people find us, Scott, if they want to subscribe or follow and see fun things that we'll put out about Diane or other actors we talk about? Mm,
1: Well, besides Under the Rocks, uh, where we hide ourselves uh, through most of the day, you can grab us on social media. Instagram and Twitter is, of course, what I mean, at Her underscore pod, if you fancy dropping us an email telling us who we should focus on next. Um, if you have any thoughts on this episode or any others please do get in touch and you can do that by email at don'tknowherpod at gmail.com
0: Yes and as always please do rate or review us wherever you may listen and we always ask if you could share us with one person that you think would love it who would love to hear our joy help out, Diane, or specifically under the Tuscan Sun. Yeah. Just share it and share us with whoever you think might enjoy a little bit of an escapist actor treat. Please do. So yes, thank you. Until next time. Goodbye, everyone.
1: Bye bye.